This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Okay, good morning everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Please turn in your Bibles with me to two places, 1 Samuel 22 and Psalm 57. 1 Samuel 22, Psalm 57. Give me an opportunity to use the little ribbon in your Bible if you have one. Let's see you do that with your electronic versions. <laughs> if you're here and you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will give you a free copy of the Bible you can take home with you today, give you the opportunity to follow along with us here. We're going to read five verses in 1 Samuel 22 and flip over to Psalm 57 about this same period. David is now fleeing from Saul, who's trying to kill him because he's afraid of David. He's afraid that David's a threat to his rules, Israel's king, his kingdom. And so David is on the run. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David departed from there, he was in Gath, Philistine territory, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul, gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Verse 3, And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please, let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now flip over. Hold your place there. Flip over to Psalm 57. Begin reading with me the title, Psalm 57, To the Choir Master, According to Do Not Destroy, a Mictem of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. So this psalm is about the time we just read about in 1 Samuel 22. Verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High. To God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame 
Him who tramples on me. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to You among the nations. For Your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Your glory be over all the earth. This is God's holy and errant Word. And it's saying to us today that He indeed will fulfill His purposes for you, for His people. God will fulfill His purposes for you. You can trust Him. Vince Lombardi is probably the most famous football coach in the history of the NFL. In fact, if you win the Super Bowl, your team is awarded the Lombardi Trophy, which is named in honor of Coach Lombardi. He coached professional football for 10 years, nine of those years, the most famous years with the Green Bay Packers. In the nine years that he coached the Packers, they were the NFL champions five times, five out of nine times. It includes winning Super Bowl I in 1966 and Super Bowl II in 1967. He won his first NFL championship with the Packers in 61. And that year, at the start of training camp, before the season began, his first words to the team are the stuff of legend. He said, gentlemen, held up a football. Gentlemen, this is a football. He chose to take nothing for granted. He started with the basics. And then he built a great team. And that year won his first national championship. Folks, God will fulfill His purposes for you. It's the stuff of legend. It's, it's like this is a football. It's the basics. It's obvious words for God's people. It's what God does. He is faithful to fulfill His promises that we find in this Word. He fulfills His purposes for us. I just want to say that today 
again and again because I believe that's what the Lord wants to say to you. It's where we need to remember the Bible is not like any other book. It's God's Word. The Bible requires then that we read it on its own terms. We have to read it according to what it is to understand its significance and its meaning. It's, it's God's own speech. It's God's Word in written form. God speaks truth in His Word. God is faithful to His Word. What the Bible is, is tied to who God is. Who God is, is reflected in His Word. The Bible's nature is tied to God's nature. He's our Creator, and He has revealed Himself to us in this Bible. This Bible has one author behind the whole book, and we read it all to learn its story. That's why we're in the Old Testament. It's a fascinating book, and those who study the Bible are going to reap wonderful rewards, powerful rewards. In fact, studying, for example, the life of David, we are going to learn that this very familiar biblical character is, is even more important than we realized. Hopefully, he's going to take on new significance as we now begin to study his life, as he becomes central to the, the book of Samuel. The events we read about here in 1 Samuel 22 and the chapters around 1 Samuel 22, they prefigure, they point to the way the world persecutes the church. So it's important that we learn from David's experience in, in 1 Samuel 22 and what he says in Psalm 57. It's important that we learn from Saul's persecution of David. John Woodhouse, a commentator on 1 Samuel, says this, Who would want to be a Christian in today's world? Faith in Jesus Christ is not a passport to fame and fortune, or even pleasure and comfort. In many parts of the world, it invites hardship and even persecution. Jesus himself taught those who would follow him to count the cost and expect to suffer. Count the cost. David is in a cave. It, it prefigures what is going to take place with God's people throughout the history of redemption. In John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar 
as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Ladies and gentlemen, God will fulfill His purposes for you. Even in the midst of a dark cave when things are perplexing. We're going to look at cries from the cave today. We're first of all going to look at David's mysterious, mysterious experiences that we read about in 1 Samuel 22. And then we're going to seek to prepare to endure in the midst of this world that apparently is going to hate us when we experience dark and difficult circumstances of any kind by looking at Psalm 57 and we see David's confident response to this perplexing moment. So first of all, 1 Samuel 22 and David's mysterious experiences. He endured a fairly long period of cave life. It was almost certainly more difficult than we can realize. During this whole period, he's in Judah, he's in southern Judah, he's in caves. It's the only home he has. It's his only security. He became a caveman. He's gone from the home of Saul, the palace of the king, to a cave. It had to be just a very difficult transition. A dark season. Somehow, in the mystery of God's providence, David is going through unwelcome and unexpected experiences. If you were David in that cave in Agilom, you would have been perplexed at best and said, Lord, what are you doing? The Lord has made it clear, hasn't He? We've seen He's, he's chosen David to be His king. He was anointed by, by Samuel with oil, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him. Why would he now be in a cave? Shouldn't he be in the palace? Shouldn't he be there waiting for Saul to check out officially and then become king? That would seem to be the logical path. And, and that seems to be where we would expect David to be after all we've seen in 1 Samuel. But that's not where he is. So pause for a minute if you feel lost. Pause for a minute if it just doesn't seem logical where you are right now compared to what you expected. Maybe this is especially relevant to you. If it's not, someday it may be. And we should pay attention. Because if we walk on the path, if we seek to follow Christ, it seems we're going to end up here. One of the great things about the Bible is that it's self-authenticating. So what I said about the Bible earlier, you may say, well, I, you know, I don't see that. Prove that to me. Well, it's self-authenticating. When you find yourself, if you're in a, a cave today, you may find that Psalm 57 speaks to your soul. God will use sometimes these very experiences to build your faith in His Word. 
And my prayer this morning is that if you're feeling like you, you had this bright future, but it's now lost, and you feel like you're spending your first night in a dark cave, that these scriptures will be open to you. David's path reminds us of a very important foundational truth in God's Word. The Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. Whenever we go through these unexpected, unwanted, meaningless, hurtful, what they, they seem to be meaningless, they seem to be hurtful kind of moments or seasons, it's a critical lesson. The fact is, the truth is, they're not pointless. We just can't see the point. And, and Satan is not somehow disrupting God's plan for you. He isn't able to do this. Actually, you're right in the center of God's plan. And you're being guided by a wisdom we can never fully understand. After Saul's disobedience and unbelief led him to be declared a failure as king, and the Spirit of the Lord departed from him, David was anointed king. And then a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. And no matter how loyal David was, or how well he served Saul and the nation of Israel, Saul just increasingly hates him, wants to kill him. His own son, Jonathan, loved David, but he couldn't influence his father. It just made matters worse, because Jonathan seriously wanted David to be king. He was next in line to be king, but he wanted David to be king. That did not bless his dad. At one point, Saul allowed his oldest daughter to marry David in exchange for David being loyal to him and commanding his troops. He did it because he was hopeful that the Philistines would kill David. But David was too good of a military commander. He killed the Philistines. And so Saul just got more and more jealous and angry. He commanded Jonathan, his son, he commanded all his servants, kill him. You've read through the Old Testament. It is bizarre. It's just an obsession. It's persecution. It got so bad that David went to the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 21, when he, when he is coming into 1 Samuel 22, into this cave, he's coming from Gath. Ever heard of Gath before? Goliath of Gath? Philistine territory. He had gone there for refuge. You know you're in trouble when you go to the Philistines. He's alone. He's in hiding. And so chapter 22 Begins, David departed from Gath and escaped to the cave of Agilom. He's in trouble. In 1 Samuel, up to this point, six times it's recorded that David escaped from Saul. He's a fugitive. He's on the run. Again, 1 Samuel 22, the second part of verse 1. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So he's hiding in the cave and somehow news gets to his family 
And they come to him. And you may remember that, that he wasn't doing that well with his family when, when David came down to observe Goliath and, and, and defeated him and killed him in battle. His brother's anger had been kindled against him. But now David has become a famous military commander. And it's why Saul hated him, but his family came to be with him. Maybe it's because Saul was mad at all his family too, or maybe it was because they, they truly wanted to help him. They wanted to be with their, their son. They wanted to be with their brother. But verse 2 continues and says, everyone who was in distress, everyone who's in debt, everyone who's bitter in soul gathered to David. And he started commanding them. What a, what a privilege. It wasn't only his family that was suffering in Saul's kingdom. There were a lot of people suffering. And so it was a very crowded cave. Look over and hold your place here. This is going to get tricky today. Three places. 1 Samuel 8. Turn over 1 Samuel 8 just to remember that Samuel had warned the people that when they asked for a king, this is what they're going to get. Samuel said, these will be the ways of the king, verse 1, 1 Samuel 8, who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. And he'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cookers and bakers. And he'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. And he'll take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. And he'll take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he'll take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves." We vote for him. There's an important election in our country coming up November 6. And I think it's wise for us to consider Saul, the king, what the people wanted. I think Christians should take the privilege and responsibility to vote very seriously. Hope everyone who can will wisely participate in this election. But let Saul be a lesson to us all about the limitations of government. Let's, let's vote, but let's pray. Let's pray. Let's put our hope in God than any other means. To allow us to live in a country where we can lead, as Paul said, pray for leaders, people in high positions, so that we can lead a peaceful and quiet life, a godly life. Let's pray for that. We have great trouble in our country over politics right now. It's, it's, it's filled with hatred and violence. This week, bombs were sent to political figures. And there was another shooting that occurred yesterday in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. Sadly, people were murdered. 
Our calling is to be peacemakers. We proclaim good news of a Savior. And we're going to be hated for this, but we do not hate in return. We should never compromise our biblical convictions. We have to guard against overstepping what is biblical into what is merely political. There were people who benefited from Saul's reign, but these aren't the people that are coming to David. It's the losers who came to David. It's the people who are suffering, those who lost in Saul's kingdom. The suffering, the bitter, the disillusion. They're coming to the cave of Adullam. They're coming to be with David. And they, they have got to be desperate to link up with David. Surely, the people that came to him weren't his first picks in the draft. We're, we're reminded of Paul's description of us. In 1 Corinthians, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. This is the church. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Who, who would want to be a Christian in today's world? It's, it's like asking who would want to join David's army in the days of Saul. It's really hard to be arrogant. In this context, we, we manage to do it, but it's difficult to join David or to join up with Christ or join the, the church. It means you're just not benefiting from the world around you usually. Those who joined David, they had, they had just given up hope of benefiting from the kingdom of Saul. If, if you could benefit, you wouldn't have headed over to this cave. And it just prefigures what it means to be a follower of of Jesus Christ. And verse 2 says that David became commander over them. And there were 400 men. He wasn't alone anymore, but I'm not sure he was better off. These, These are not Navy SEALs that he's commanding. They're people that needed help. And verse 3 says, He went from there to Mizpah of Moab. He said to the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother stay with you. Now, why would he go to Moab? Moab was still an enemy of Saul. In fact, David, as as a military commander, had defeated Moab. Why would he go there? Well, you may remember we did a series on Ruth a while back who was David's great-grandmother, and she was a Moabite. So apparently David is going over there, and he's taking his mom and dad to Moab to be cared for by family. So here's Ruth's faithfulness, bearing fruit in her family more than a century later. And it highlights how the Lord is at work among His people. Saul's family's disintegrating. Hostility is growing between his children. But it's just the reverse for David. His older brothers are reconciled to him. He's taking care of his parents. But he's uncertain about his his future. So verse 3 says, I'm taking you to Moab until I'm certain what God's going to do for me. So it's important as we head to Psalm 57, we realize this is not a done deal. All is not well with David. He's got to trust the Lord. 
Then verse 5 says the prophet Gad comes to him and says, go to Judah. That's not the safe direction. It's right into Saul's territory. And we end with this text with David obeying the word of God and going to Judah. The very thing that Saul did not do. Now turn over to Psalm 57. David's confident response. Cave experience. The title in the Hebrew Bible was not detached. It's numbered as verse 1. And so Psalm 57 begins in the cave. When you enter a cave, it's dark. And the farther you go in the cave, the more unsettling it is. And David seems to have endured a very long period in caves. But this psalm seems to be speaking to that first night. First night in the cave. And we, we just hear how alone he feels, how helpless. And he writes this song. He's thought about it. And he's written it later as he thought about that first night in the cave. Verse 2, I cry out to God Most High. Here it is. To God who fulfills His purpose for me. It would just be so hard to be positive at that moment. Hard for anyone who's, who's looking in at that cave to believe in God's purpose for David. So if you feel like that, pay attention. He would have had difficulty believing this. That he had a bright future. He's cornered. He's a fugitive. He's alone in a cave. Saul's trying to kill him. The Philistines are trying to kill him. There's no place to go. But he says, in spite of all this, God is the God who fulfills His purpose for me. And in the midst of that cave, he trusts God. Psalm 57.2 is the text for the mystery of providence. A book written by my historical hero, John Flavel, and one of my favorite, maybe my favorite book, And he is speaking in that book to 17th century British sailors. And he tried to speak to them in terms they would understand. Psalm 57, verse 2, is the text for the entire book. And he's saying to them, God is going to fulfill His purposes for you, even though it was said of these sailors that they had a one-inch plank between them and eternity when they were sailing in their ships. He says this at the beginning of the book, how great a pleasure it is to discern how the most wise God is providentially, He's in control of all of history of your life. He's he's guiding everything. He's governing. The most wise God is providentially steering. Okay, so now you're in a boat. Your life is a boat. The world is a boat. History is a boat. He's steering all to the port of His own praise and His people's happiness, while the whole world is busily employed in managing the sails. They were, they were sailing ships. And tugging at the oars with a quite opposite design and purpose. How great a pleasure! My man, John Flavel, says, 
It's such a joy. Not just that God gets, is taking you, He's going to fulfill His purpose for you, but the whole world is against you. That's what, that's what brought him joy. He thought that was funny. That's, that's a 17th century Puritan. That's high humor. How great a pleasure. The Lord's taking you right to the port. The whole world's fighting against you. It's fun to watch. We know that God's purpose for David was to give this poor man alone in this cave the kingdom. But how that was going to happen. Verse 4, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Here he is, preparing for bed in the darkness of the cave, and it's, it's as if it seems like he can actually hear lions outside. And verse 6 says he's bowed down. He's low. But he says, verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. Remember, he's a great musician. I will awake the dawn. I'm going to write a song. Imagine how difficult that would be. He knows he will awake to the new day with a new song on his lips and with his guitar ready to play. Psalm 57 is about how David trusted God and sang for joy in the midst of a cave. And he is steadfast because God is steadfast. The chorus of this song is in verse 5 and 11. They're identical. They each follow a major section of the psalm, and they say, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Your glory be be over all the earth. This is the heart of the matter for David. Verse 11 comes after, the final verse comes after verse 10, Your steadfast love is great to the heavens, Your faithfulness to the clouds. The greatness of unfailing love is now matched in this song with the greatness of David's exaltation. He says, his soul is in the midst of lions. He's amid fiery beasts. But he says, be exalted, O God. It's, it's, It's a violent mood swing. He's looking at his experience, his mysterious experiences, but he has a confident response because of who God is. He's considering his enemies, but then he considers his God. And it changes everything. His his fears are quieted as his mind is filled with this truth that God is all-powerful. He is sovereign Overall, that's the dominant reality in our lives. It's not Saul. It's not Saul's hatred. It's not all the people pursuing David. It's not the darkness of the cave. It's who God is. He's vulnerable. He has great needs. 
But this truth, David has known this before, but now it's come to him in a powerful way. And may it happen to you this morning. May it come to you in this kind of powerful way and wake up your soul like you're learning this truth for the very first time. David has opposition. He has problems. He has difficulties. His anxious thoughts must have been multiplying within him. His enemies are powerful. They're determined. They're savage. They're like hungry lions. If he's far away, they're like a spear. If they're close, they're like an arrow. They're deadly. But he knows the power of his enemies pales in comparison to the power of his God. When God is considered, these enemies are put in their proper place. He is higher than the highest heavens. Even, even in the darkness of the cave, and the enemies are on the prowl right outside the door, and there's no one to help him. He's alone. The Lord is present in all His glory, and He fulfills His purposes for you. Verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until these storms of destruction pass by. It's his first night in the cave. There's a greater reality than this cave. He saw that he was in the shadow of your wings. It's a, it's a central picture in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the special place of God's presence was the tabernacle. God lived there. He dwelt there. In the place called the Holy of Holies, the innermost sanctuary, God lived. God was present. In the psalm, sometimes it's called the Lord's footstool. It's, it's where He touches down to be with His people. The invisible God was enthroned above the Ark of the Covenant. It was a gold-covered chest. Inside the chest was God's Word. The lid of the ark was designed very specifically. It was called the mercy seat. Literally the atonement cover. The relationship between God and man has been fractured because of sin. Broken by sin. Atonement is the reconciling of God and man by dealing with sin. The blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled under the wings of golden cherubim. And David came to see that this was true about God's reconciliation with His people. He provides and accepts a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice for their sins. He's a God with strong wings that outspread to shelter these people whose sins have been atoned for. The final sacrifice was Jesus Christ. He died on the cross as our substitute. David saw now that God, 
like the golden cherubim, he has strong wings outspread to shelter his people. I cry out, verse 2, to God most high. I ask for mercy in the shadow of your wings. And he fulfills his purpose for me. God most high means that God owns it all. Everything's at His disposal. He is God Most High. That's His title. He's the sovereign God. And the wings of this one provide protection. He can answer every prayer, even in the darkest cave. And this is why the New Testament says about Jesus Christ that He has been raised from the dead far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, He is fully God Most High. David says in verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God. And you can understand why. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I'm in this dark cave. I've got lions right outside the door. Everybody in Judah is trying to kill me. But my heart is steadfast. Awake, O harp and lyre. Where's my guitar? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need it in the morning when I get up because I'm going to sing. Prayer changes things. The Lord changes things. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage this morning. Grace is on the way. Evil will be defeated. Wait for the dawn, but fill your waiting with prayer and get ready to sing. David knew God. He understood who God is. He knew His promises for him. And it explains his steadfastness in a dark cave. The Lord will keep His promises. Verse 2, I will cry out. Verse 3, He will sin. This is when I wish... Tony's church was here because they'd be saying, Amen! God will fulfill His purposes for you. Do you know His promises for you? Let's end with this. Do you know His promises this morning that are in His Word? This book is like no other book. It's God's Word. It reflects who He is. It's His promises for you. Do you know His promises? I have a, a grandson who recently turned four years old and a grandson who recently turned five years old. They're about a year apart in age and they're both very excited about stepping up to the next level. We were hiking with them and they were talking. The, the new four-year-old said to the new five-year-old, do you remember being four? And the, the new five-year-old responded very confidently, of course, yeah, I remember being four. After a few seconds of thinking about it, he goes, uh, not really. <laughs> Think about it. Do you remember the promises of God? Do you really remember Do you know what it means that you are united to Christ by faith? 
Do you know what that means? God has promised you. He has promised to be with you. He has promised to deliver you. He has promised to provide for you all your needs. He has promised to answer your prayers, to keep you safe, to bless your children, to give you spiritual gifts so you can bring Him glory with your life and be fulfilled. He has promised to fulfill His purposes for you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a football. That's the basics. This is God's Word. Start here in your life. And let us do this as a congregation. Let's start here and build. His plan for us is to perform wonders. Amen. Father, I pray for every individual and for Cornerstone Church. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, we're not asking this morning for what we deserve. We are asking for unmerited favor. We are those who deserve Your wrath. But because of Christ, our substitutionary sacrifice, we believe He died on the cross for our sins. And we come in His name. We come trusting in Him alone for our salvation. Not having a righteousness of our own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith And because of that, Lord, we ask, be merciful, be gracious, Lord. Hear our cries and fulfill your good purposes for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865 694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.